Today's episode was recorded in April of 2017, right on the verge of Mercury retrograde. And this is a particularly special topic for us right now because we happen to have a retreat coming up in August of 2017. That's the next Mercury retrograde. The name of the retreat is Revision, Explore Your Stories, Shape Your Future. It's a practice of being seen retreat for therapist healers. And we know that it's happening right in the midst of retrograde and we kind of did it on purpose. Learn more about the retreat by visiting us at www.practiceofbeingseen.com slash events and listen to the episode to get some hints as to why this is the perfect time to hold a retreat like this. And now, Carrie Nola. The practice of being seen is about understanding who you really are and daring to share your truth with the world. This is a conversation with and for seekers, creators, and holders of transformation. We believe that stories shape relationships, and relationships shape stories. This is Rebecca Wong, relationship therapist and founder of Connectfulness. And this is Marisa Gowdy, writer and storytelling coach for healers. And this is The Practice of Being Seen. The information in this podcast is not a substitute for help from a licensed mental health professional. Today, we're lucky enough to have Carrie Nola with us. Kerry is an intuitive psychotherapist, energetic visionary, and founder of the Sacred Soul Circle for Healing Entrepreneurs. While building and maintaining an abundant healing practice for over a decade, Kerry's work has since evolved to support lightworkers in awakening their gifts through virtual products, programs, and live retreats. She's here to assist the planet in returning to a frequency of love-based consciousness by holding space for us to remember how to shine a light on the shadows ready for healing within. Carrie, we're so glad to have you here with us. I wish you could see Rebecca's face as she just sort of immerses herself in the amazing words in your bio. I'm just, I'm absorbing you, Carrie. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a gift to be here and in your energy as well. I can't wait to uh, see what we co-create here. Mm, Me too. (sighs) So I think in so many ways, this was a conversation that was destined. We were all meant to kind of be in a space, holding space together at Practice of Being Seen. And there's so much to dive into with you, Carrie. But one of the things that brought us initially to, to have this conversation right now is that we are on the verge of yet another mer- Mercury retrograde. And I know that you're just sensitive to how the energies around us affect your work and affect all people. And we'd love to start off the conversation just talking a little bit about that and then going deeper and wider and seeing where we go from there. Absolutely. I love mercury retrograde energy and I hate it. It depends which part (laughs) of me you ask and which day, like yesterday when my app was crashing for seemingly no reason. And, uh, we're, we're just in, in the shadows of the energy. So, um, you know, mercury, I think in a lot of ways gets a bad rap when, when it's in the retrograde phase. And I think it's because, our human egos don't love the idea of slowing down. And that is one of the gifts of most retrogrades, but in particular Mercury, because Mercurian energy really has to do with communication, technology, connection. And when we try to move quickly during a Mercury retrograde, we can experience miscommunication. We can have things that usually flow with ease tend to slow down and crash and want more of our presence and attention. Can you talk more about um, 
about that gift of slowing down, because I think that there's something in there that is, oh, it's, it's so beautiful and it's also so challenging. Yes, it really is. I'm feeling it even now as I was going to rush through the conversation and was so glad that you paused and invited us to, um, you know, to just sit in the energy of slowing down. I feel like it's something that I've begun to become friends with over the years, although I, I wouldn't say it is my natural. Well, it is, I think it's our natural way of being, you know, from, from birth, but yet we're conditioned out of it as we experience this collective consciousness of performance and perfection. And for me, I think those things are really linked. We, we don't want to slow down because we're afraid of what that means, of what we'll find in those quiet and slow spaces, what parts of us will rise up asking for our presence, our compassion, and our attention. Um, what might we discover that we've been doing that we don't want to do or that our soul isn't feeling connected to anymore? And the information that we get in the slowdown can be very vulnerable and very raw. And I think for me, that's been part of the avoidance of those spaces. What will I find? What parts of me will I meet? What truths will awaken when I'm slow and silent? You know, that's so, so resonant in, in our work, um, in my work as a therapist and Maurice's work as a writing coach, you know, it's this process of embracing those fears and in really being able to see yourself and diving into the depth of what that means. Yes. And recognizing that so much happens under the surface before, you know, performance can ever happen, mm. you know, and, and if we're striving for that impossible concept of perfection, <laughs> huh, I mean, that, I, don't, I don't think I ever want that to happen, but you're not going to get anywhere close if you're trying to constantly be doing it in front of everybody all the time. And if it's motivated by fear. Because that's one of the things, Carrie, that I really just, that really resonated and I really heard and what you were talking about was just, you know, what will we find? Like that that's such a question and it's so embedded and held in this fear of, shit, I can't look at myself. Mm -hmm. And I don't have time to look at myself because mm. I got to get everyone else to look at me. Yes. That's one of my favorite shadows, Marisa, is that notion of not having time mm. and how I've used that in different ways and how parts of me become so stealth in their convincing me of the not enough time. And what I've found is, um, you know, when I'm willing to make the time for myself, my experience in the world, my connection with myself, it... it it deepens. And so then my connection with others is able to deepen as well. And so there's so much magic there, but yet it sometimes takes us so long to give ourselves the permission to, to show up in that way. You know, you just said that, that not enough time is one of my favorite shadows. And that right there seems like such an oxymoron, but I know that that's actually part of the real depth and beauty of your work is that you have favorite shadows. Can you take us there a little bit? Because I think it might short circuit the everyday mind in certain ways. Oh, I love it. What are some <laughs> of my favorite shadows? Let's see. Power comes to mind first. I think 
that's one that we've really been dancing with collectively for quite some time now is the the shadow of power stepping into our power. And interestingly mm-hmm. enough, I think as helpers, as healers, as space holders, um, you know, we have the the shadow of minimizing our power, of mm. keeping our voice quiet, of pretending that we're not worthy of being heard. Um, and that is a misuse of our power. It's a denial of who we are and what we're here to be and to contribute and to share the gifts that are us and that we are keeping from ourselves and from the world. And I think that shadow has become one of my favorites because I've begun to understand what happens when we shine a light on the power that we we are and that we have and being in right relationship with it from a space of wholeness, um, being able to call ourselves out when we manipulate the truth of our power, when I forget that I am powerful and that I can set boundaries and I can say yes to who I am and why I came here rather than um, denying or living in this illusion of not having the power to do that. Mm. You know, that that reminds me, a few episodes ago, we had Sharon Rosen on, and she said something like, sometimes we forget that we know what we know. Mm. Um, and that that just reminds me of it too. You know, it's, it's how we minimize ourselves. We forget our own knowledge. We forget our own groundedness. Yes. We forget and then we remember. We fall asleep and then we wake up. You know, I think for me, it's not about living in the light 100% of the time. I don't know that in the human experience, uh, for me anyway, that we're meant to do that. But I think it's about knowing and feeling our way into what the shadow is and what the light is. That way we have more of a conscious choice in every moment to decide where we want to be and and where we want to show up from. Oh, and what I just heard in there was so much permission. You know, we go to sleep and then we wake up. We forget and then we remember. There is so much permission for the flow, for the ebbs and the flows in there that we don't have to be perfect all the time. And that, I think, is one of the beautiful gifts that you bring into your work and that you share with everyone that works with you. Mm, Thank you for that reflection. I think it's a journey that... I'm on every day, and as I deepen into it myself, it just feels like such a beautiful place to invite other people to see that reflection and how it shows up for them. Mm -hmm. And I think permission is such a part of this because we often wait for permission to come from external sources. Is my partner going to give it? Did my parents give it? Does society allow it? What will my clients think? What will my children think? And at the end of the day, this journey of awakening is really about what permissions are we willing to give ourselves even when others aren't giving it to themselves or willing to give it to us. Because that's truly where it all begins and where it all ends. It all begins with how do you give yourself that permission? How do you let yourself show up for yourself, for your truths, for your relationships in every part of your life, professionally, personally, all of it? Yes. Yeah. And you know, what I'm hearing in this too is it's a permission to reflect the actual natural world we live in 
when you're talking mm-hmm. about talking human about beings that. aren't meant to live in the light 100% of the time, <laughs> we know the earth itself, unless you're the, at the tips of the poles, aren't meant to be, isn't meant to be in the light 100% of the time. So when you can root that, I know for me, when I can root that sense of permission to, to be all my different aspects, to be who I really am into what's actually happening in the planet around me, in mm-hmm. nature, nature, oh, it stops being a head game. And it mm. starts being something that I know how to do if I just put my feet on the ground. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for this gift and this permission to look at Mercury retrograde from this per, uh, perspective of slowing down and permission giving. It feels so much lighter. Yes. And I think, you know, knowledge can be really empowering when we remember. And I think there is a natural, when we're slowing down, we can feel the ebbs and flows. We're, te- we're usually not as connected to producing during this period. It can be a deeply creative and reflective time. And sometimes we'll notice that we'll naturally be inclined to not put as much on our calendar or to take a vacation or, you know, just different ways that this is intuitively showing up. And sometimes we're back at this permission. Sometimes we don't give ourselves permission to honor that. We're like, why is my calendar not full? Or why aren't I pushing this deadline? Or how come I'm not producing enough? But we can get curious when those things are naturally showing up and we can see what mother nature and the cosmos has in store and what is being reflected back to us during those periods. And I think, you know, I I love that you brought that up, Marisa, because it is so magical that if we use the reflections of the universe, we can see ourselves and our opportunities uh, so powerfully. Yeah, I, I, sorry, I'm having. I was watching Rebecca Wright, and she just was. And I think she just was going off in another stream. But I think it feels really important to bring in here too, as Rebecca's notes right now say, ebb and flow of masculine and feminine. And I think whenever we start talking about the dance of dark and light, and doing and being, that becomes part of the conversation, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I think my mind was going there too, and I know you guys have done some episodes on that, but absolutely. I mean, I think we're in such a powerful time of feminine awakening, but that doesn't just mean the female woman in physical form. It means the embodiment of the gifts and the light and shadow aspects of masculine and feminine energy within each of us. You know, doing isn't inherently wrong or bad. Uh, It's necessary. It's important. And being isn't inherently good or bad. It's, it's just knowing from which intention and space we're doing those things from or being in those ways with. If we're trying to do from a space of force, that would be the shadow of the masculine. If we're doing without consent or permission from another person, if they're involved, then, you know, this is the shadow of the masculine. If we're being, but it's from a very, it's from a very passive space where we're not really showing up. We're just, eh, well, this is the shadow of the feminine. So, you know, this is the beauty I think of, of suspending judgment and entering with a space of curiosity. And that's another beautiful energy of Mercury retrograde is getting radically curious about what's going on in our lives, in our relationships, in what we're bringing to life in our work and in, yeah, in who we are and what we feel called to, to offer. What a beautiful definition of being, of, of 
of all of it, to be radically curious. And for me, this reframe of doing and being, you know, there are things I do that I have to do, that I want to do, that I need to produce. And then there are times I just need to be, and I need to sit in and be more of whatever it is that I'm experiencing. Those two sides, it's such a, it, for me right now, I'm just kind of taking that in and it's such a, a refreshing way for me to hold the masculine and the feminine, feminine energy within me, you know, mm-hmm. that, that I have these different places that I go, I do things and I am, and I, I'm putting the, I am as in like, that's part of the being. Um, and so those, those energies live within me and I need both of them. I can't be all in one, but there are times where I need to be more focused on one or the other. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And knowing ourselves enough to know when those times are and to let those times reveal themselves to us. And I think this really has to do for me with my relationship with my body as well, because I think our bodies are always talking. There's always different symptoms and sensations that let us know when we're in the shadow or when we're in the light. And when we know our body and we're willing to allow Because that's the difference of a human experience and a spiritual experience is this body that we're in, that we've incarnated in. So if we ignore it on the journey, we're kind of missing the point of the whole earth school because we know what it's like to live in in divinity and to float as our light body self without a physical body. But what we're doing here is we're learning about ourselves and about our souls through these tissues and these, these you know, bones and, and how we're moving and grooving within them. So I feel like our body and how we embody these patterns are a really important part of this conversation as well. Oh, so much so. Can you give us some examples of how you help people tune into their bodies in that way? Absolutely. The breath is the first. I had a mentor once that said, and I really appreciated this, that our breath is our courier of consciousness. It carries us. And so oftentimes we breathe from the chest and we don't bring it all the way down to our belly and our root. And we don't allow ourselves to live fully in the body. So the breath is one of the most powerful ways to support us in traveling back inward to our body, to our truth, to those awarenesses that often are out of our conscious, uh, you know, conception in any given moment. So maybe even, uh, as listeners are tuning in right now, we could take a collective breath and notice what happens in that space. Yeah, like I become aware of some tightness in my, in my core um, that I didn't know about a minute ago. Um, what a, you know, that's just a moment of permission right mm-hmm. there to loop back to where we started, that permission to experience your own breath and take that moment. Yes. It's something we need to be given countless, countless, countless times before it makes sense that we can give it to ourselves. Absolutely. And it's a resource we have with us at any moment while we're living this physical journey is the breath. You can do it in line, you know, at the supermarket when you're feeling stressed. You can do it when you're sitting with a client. You can do it when you're, 
you know, walking or you're feeling stressed in a moment with your, with a partner or a friend. I mean, it's just always there waiting for you. Unlike other resources, like I'm looking over, I have my crystals sitting here and a pendulum and some different Oracle decks, my shadow deck, essential oils. You know, these are physical things that we may not always have on us, but the breath we can always call on to, to take us home. And also I think there's a willingness to use our body as a teacher. And I think we've gotten very quick to, to medicalize or emergence, make an emergency what's going on in our physical body. And yes, there are times when physical attention may be needed for our symptoms, but long before it gets to that point, there are whispers. Mm -hmm. And if we tune in to what our heart is doing, to what our belly is doing, to what our, our, you know, uh, tissues and muscles are doing, we can support them in giving us these messages and hearing what they're holding for us long before it gets to that point of dis-ease or discomfort or pain that needs other kind of attention. Mm. It's such a gentle gift. Yeah. Mm. For me, I guess the, the writer and storyteller that I am the body holds so many stories. And I start to think about words, even in those moments of thinking about the body, because I know I often get words and stories that come up from those tight places for me. And I'm feeling called right now just to point out the way words have a really deep relationship to retrograde. And it's those Mm -hmm. RE words, right? I've been tracking through our conversation, reframe, resource, remember, return, revision, and relationship, which is a word I don't usually think as one of those re-words. But I'd love for us just to explore a little bit how, you know, as we're capturing this energy of this time, how it's a time of re. Mm. Yeah, I love that you brought that up. Restore Mm -hmm. came for me Mm -hmm. when you were going through that beautiful, I call it word art. (laughs) I I naturally see and hear in words too, Marisa. So I really relate, relate (laughs) to that uh, once we can get going, right? right. Um, And absolutely. I mean, and there are such sacred energies of returning, you know, (laughs) returning to ourselves. So uh, this could go on and on, but, um, I'm so glad that you brought that to light because there's going to be different re-energies, re-energize. Look, Mm. uh, there's going to be different aspects of these re's that are calling for our attention, uh, through this period. And we can notice which ones want our focus and which ones we feel most drawn to spending time with. Mm. And knowing that that's something we, we need to do anyway, you know, if, if we're in that tension of doing and being, and sometimes if, if we look at retrograde, it's like, I don't have time to take three and a half weeks off. I just don't. If you can said reframe that to understand something that we always need to do is to revisit the work that we've done, the, the, you know, the things that we've written that are, that aren't quite completed, the ideas that just haven't had a chance to get the attention they require. When we can look at this as a powerful and important re-time, I think that really gives us yet another way in to say, I'm going to use this curiosity and, and root into something that I really, um, I'm excited to accomplish, which it seems like a word that doesn't quite fit into this time, but I think we need to remember it's not a time of absolute suspended animation. 
Yes. It's a preparation, you know, for what is about to birth itself. You know, I, I love birthing metaphors because I think they're so powerful. You know, when when there, we're in this gestation period, and that's a lot of what uh, Mercury retrograde is. It's sitting with what is what is gestating, what is wanting to come to life. And it's looking at, you know, the pieces and, and feeling our way in and, and giving time in preparation for that birthing. And so it's actually, you know, we have this illusion that that these re's are not active, right. but I, I don't experience them as passive either. I mean, we can be, you know, sitting in deep contemplation, but for me, that's a very sacred action mm-hmm. that a lot is unfolding in that space. But that's part of the sleeping divine feminine is that we've lost connection to the value of being and of experiencing reflection and reconnection. It looks very inactive, but my invitation would be to notice how you might want to wake up to the very sacred action of being and the value of that, rather than judging ourselves as not accomplishing. What if being is part of the accomplishment? (sighs) I, I don't know if you could hear it, but I'm just breathing that one in. Mm. Can I mention what Rebecca has in her hands right now? Sure. <laughs> well, you'd mentioned Oracle decks before, and you'd mentioned crystals, and we have a desk that looks probably a little, it looks like it'd be a sister desk to your space right now. And Rebecca is, happens to be holding something called Messages from Shadow, which I think you mm-hmm. know pretty intimately. I sure do. (laughs) Do you want to tell our listeners about the messages from Shadow? Oh, I sure would. Yes. Um, Gosh, it's been almost two years ago now. I was finding myself in a a phase of reflection and Mm -hmm. quite frustrated that when I went to different oracle decks, I kept seeing the spiritual truth, but I felt like I wasn't accessing the human truth of what was going on. I wanted to see a reflection of my blind spots. I wanted to see not that everything was working out in divine and perfect order, because yes, I I knew that was a part of the truth, but I was also aware that there were aspects of me that I was abandoning that I needed a mirror to look in to really see those parts so we could reconnect and we could um, dance together and heal and, and move in some new ways. And so when I kept looking to these resources and wasn't finding what I call my shadow self, the parts of me that are hidden, I got a whisper that that was because I was supposed to bring it forth. Mm -hmm. And so I danced with my, uh, shadow power for a period of time. Really me? I don't know who, why me, how me, who me. And then as I healed some of those patterns and really stepped into my power in a meditation one day, I received 33 energies that wanted to come together to form the messages from shadow Oracle deck and healing system. And after those 33 came, a few weeks later, a 34th arrived. That's the ancestor code. She was the last to join uh, this sacred resource. And it's become a magical system that first supported me and then was birthed into a physical deck and now an app on iTunes and Android to support others who 
value the rainbows and unicorns and the divine approach <laughs> and want to dance in the dark and see the value of bringing those things to light as well. And oh, I, I got all the I, shivers. Yeah. All the shivers. I personally find that it's a permission-giving space to dive in and go deeper. Mm. It was one of the first decks you ever really It was used, the first right? deck I've ever, I've ever used. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, can we go backwards for a minute for some of our listeners who might not be so familiar with Oracle decks sure. and talk a little bit about what, what this is and how it's used? Absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of people would describe it in many ways. Some people might be familiar or more familiar with like tarot cards or um, a tarot deck. For me, an oracle is a, a, is a reflection. It's a way to see a part of ourselves or information that we know at some level within, but for whatever reason, we're not giving ourselves permission to access it internally. So we're looking for that mirror. It's kind of like there's spinach in your teeth, but if you don't look in a mirror or have somebody (laughs) tell you, you wouldn't really know. (laughs) Now, maybe you could feel it, or maybe you could brush your teeth and it would naturally come out. Um, But sometimes a mirror is a quicker way to see something that we can't otherwise see. And for me, that's what Oracle decks are. That's what friends are for. There you go. (laughs) When your friends are not there, you pull out the spinach in your teeth oracle. I mean, no (laughs) way. I love it. Yes. So that's, to me, my human explanation of the oracle. I think there's many spiritual definitions and different ways that different people would, would describe it. But to me, it's a mirror. And different ones have different energies and reflect us back to different things. And at different times, we may feel inclined to work with different ones for different reasons. Yeah, I know for me, my, a lot of my work with Oracle decks has been Celtic tarot decks that really go into specific stories and myths. Because I, some, you know, when I'm working for myself or with a client, it helps to find a specific story that might unlock a truth they didn't know. And yes. I, I so appreciate in your deck that these are very much without story. It's more just a cosmic vibration coming through. I think there's such value in having both types at your fingertips because I think we're both story filled beings. And then we also just need sometimes that just kind of bolt of cosmic light that comes in and says this, this right here, see this in its pure form. Mm. Yes. I find that, that the shadow deck is, um, it's also just an interesting play with allowing me to feel my feelings. And it's not just mine. My, my daughters have embraced it. Um, Mm. I actually popped onto your Facebook Live briefly last night and you were doing a Facebook Live introducing your um, new Shadow Deck app. And you had just pulled the card Fear as my oldest daughter walked into the kitchen and said, I'm so afraid of my sister. (laughs) Mm, I love it. It was this beautiful moment that the three of us then had hovered around the little screen on my on my phone watching you and me explaining mm. what you were doing and talking about how you had just pulled the fear card, which they know. They know this deck. And, um, tell, you know, talking with them, having this conversation about how she had just walked in the room saying she was afraid of her sister. And mm. it opened up an, a beautiful mother-daughter moment for us just to talk about fear. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, it gave us permission to just really follow that emotion that had also walked in the room. Mm. So I just found that to be a pretty powerful moment that I wanted to reflect back. 
Sacred love hearing that. The synchronicity. Were you going to say, Marisa, synchronicity? I was actually going to say the the power of sacred tools Mm. and understanding that we so often look at them as something we do in a personal ritual space or we do with a healer. You know, we do what we share with a grown up, with a friend. But I, I think Rebecca and I are both noticing the power of just having sacred tools around the house and what that offers our daughters in terms of. New and different ways to communicate their emotions, and, and not just them. our daughters. I had given my husband a um, a, a selenite, a, a small little stone, because he had complained that this other thing I had given him was too small. Before I went away on vacation, he wanted something that he could hold. And this morning, he was looking for it. He couldn't find it. it. Was he couldn't he couldn't figure out where it was, and he couldn't leave the house without mm-hmm. it. And then he found it. It was underneath a piece of paper. But um, wow. the you know, it's not just our daughters who hold these things. We all need something that holds us. Yeah. And I think that's what these tools often do. They hold us. Yeah. Mm. They become part of the relationship because they become extensions of who we are. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they remind us of who we are. You know, I think a lot of times, and part of the reason that there aren't a lot of story or information, you know, the card deck does come with with a booklet that offers questions and healing mantras with each card. But the guides I was working with for this project really wanted it to be a tool to not have people abandon their own inner knowing, but for it to deepen them into their inner knowing. And I always know when I'm using an Oracle resource for abandonment versus connection. So these can be used from the shadow aspect to kind of hide from our truth, or they can be used from the light. And my favorite time is when I pull a card and I put it back in the deck thinking they got it wrong. And then I keep pulling and I keep pulling the same one over and over. Um, And that's when I have to laugh at myself. And I just hear, you know, the divine giggles like, okay, Carrie, do you really want to hear the truth or did you want to keep believing the story or the illusion that you're in right now? Oh, that's beautiful. You know, and one of the things I love about your guidebook is that, you know, so many of these cards, not all of them, but so many of them are shadows, right? And they're the things that are hard for us to take a look at that live within us. But what your guidebook does in a very, very brief, succinct, like to the point kind of way is it helps you flip how that shadow might be showing up Mm -hmm. and, and how you can tune into it. You know, it, it finds that permission point, that entry in to let you sink into that stuff. And to mm-hmm. reframe what you might knee-jerk reaction say is negative. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because some of the words are hard to see come up for yourself. And yes. there's beauty in that. And there's medicine in that. Yeah. Mm. So I've been shuffling a deck for a while. Do you mind if I pull one and then you just kind of explain it to us a little bit? Sure. Let's call this our Mercury retrograde energy. What are we going, what shadow are we going to be dancing with this retrograde? Oh, I like it. Okay. Let's see who wants to come up. Oh. Okay. We got judgment. Mm. Which is a word we've actually said in the podcast today. Mm Yes. Yes. So it feels like we're going to be reflecting on some of our judgments, both the judgments that we have toward others and, and often more importantly, are the judgments that we have toward ourselves. This shadow pattern actually heals in the heart chakra. It's really about connecting with a deep sense of self-love and noticing all the places where we're so hard on ourselves, where we just continue to to judge and criticize and um, beat up aspects of ourselves that are really just 
experiencing their humanness and fumbling. And sometimes it's messy and we don't know, you know, which way we're headed. And we just need that cushion of compassion to land on in those moments. So when the shadow of judgment shows up, it's really that opportunity to look at the places we are judging ourselves and also where we're judging others because often what we judge in others is something that we've yet to embrace about ourselves that has been a disowned aspect of self. Mm -hmm. And so that too can be a mirror back inward into our own truth. Mm. I think I just need a little time to digest that. Yes. Um, And... While we're doing that, I wonder if we could just read the little mantra that we have the, Marisa has the book in front of her. Sure. Sure. I am worthy of being accepted as I am, so I can take full responsibility for accepting me now. Mm. I love the now in that. The now. It anchors us in. Yes. This Mm. moment. This moment. Mm. Yeah, and it's like even when others are judging us, are, we're only triggered by that when we're judging that part of us. So we can use even external judgments as a teacher and a guide to see what gets activated in us. Because if somebody is judging us and we are activated by that, we feel the need to defend or protect ourselves from that judgment, that's a clue that there's an aspect of us that needs our love and attention. And that person has come as a a teacher to reflect us back to that aspect of ourselves. And also when we're experiencing a lot of external judgment, it's also a sign of the invitation back to our own inner judgments. And I noticed that in times when I'm judging myself harshly, I'm also feeling a lot of harshness outside in my relationships. And when I'm being really gentle with myself, I experience more gentleness from the world. And so whether or not that's just what I notice, um, whether or not they're changing out there or not, but I do think it's a very interesting reflection to become curious about. Yeah. I love how you keep bringing the curiosity back in. And what I'm hearing too, is that idea of, of mirroring. Cause you spoke before about how an Oracle decks, job is to help kind of reflect parts of yourself back to you. And that seems like it's really being fully expressed in this judgment card. Mm-hmm. Yes. So this feels like a really beautiful place for us to end. Carrie, I want to thank you so much for being with us here today. And I want to give you an opportunity to share with our listeners where they can find you. Oh, absolutely. It was a gift. Thank you guys so much for having me in your space and allowing me to share a part of my heart and my journey with you and your listeners. Um, You're welcome to come over to messagesfromshadow.com. That is uh, where you can find out more information about the shadow work. You can get a free reading there and you can also find information about my work. That's also embedded on my site, carrynola.com for more information about my work with healers and the ways that I hold space for you to birth your work into being thank you so much carrie thank you you're welcome please remember august 13th through 16th of 2017 we're holding our first practice of being seen retreat for therapist healers it's called revision explore your stories shape your future find more at practice events 
For more great content, check out practiceofbeingseen.com and spread the word by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the podcast. Music written and performed by Christopher Ferris and produced at Kidneystone Studio.